0: This is episode number 337, Everything You Need to Know About Concussions with Physio Adam Liu. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about high performance and well-being, and I'm your host, Sonia.
1: I think the number one thing is don't be scared of your symptoms. So your symptoms are really those 22 symptoms I keep referencing. Like those really are just a way of your brain trying to signal to you that something's wrong. And it's just a communication system more or less. Right. So I always tell that when you feel those symptoms, don't get discouraged by them. Just let them just know that that's your brain communicating to you. So it's like if I'm watching TV and my headache goes from like a two out of ten to a five out of ten. After five minutes, it's like, okay, well, there's something with the TV and my concussion that's not jiving, right? But it's like, if I keep avoiding the TV for days and days and weeks and weeks and weeks, my concussion injury will never adapt to that stimulus.
0: I'm feeling pretty excited right now because next week, about 10 days from now, is my very first trail running race. I am Signed up for a 25-kilometer distance, and it's a pretty technical, hard race. The women's course record is 2 hours and 45 minutes, so it's going to be a long and fun and challenging day out there. Over the last 10 weeks, I've been combining my cycling and my running training, and something has been absent from that training and some of the results of that training, something that I was expecting to have happen but didn't. And that thing that's been missing is joint pain. I'll be circling back to that in a minute, and you'll see why that's relevant. But first, I want to talk about today's podcast sponsor. I've talked about my skepticism to supplements in the past and how excited I was to finally find a supplement company that I trusted in Prevenix. But what really sold me on their products were two things. First, I took the products consistently for four weeks, and even though I was uncertain that I was going to feel actual benefits in that short period of time, I did. I genuinely felt better and had more energy throughout the day. And my husband also started taking them as well and had the same results. But even more than that, I've seen testimonials from so many cyclists and runners on the health and performance benefits that they've experienced to greatly help their athletic performance. From more energy and stamina while training to faster recovery, there's nothing worse than not being able to train consistently due to an injury. I'm a big fan of the multivitamin, which is going to fill your nutrient gaps and needs. And also, it gives you broad-based antioxidant support to push harder and recover quicker. But one product that I want to highlight is a product that many endurance athletes consider the joint supplement for us. It's called Joint Health Plus, and you can read reviews for yourself on prevenex.com. But to summarize, cyclists and runners see meaningful reductions in joint pain and faster joint recovery from workout to workout. So when I said I've been training for 10 weeks for this trail running race, and I don't have any joint pain, I believe that this supplement is a big part of that. And I'm going to trust it even more as I start ramping up my training to do a 50k ultra race in May. And I'm also doing a 40 mile trail running race in September. So this supplement is on my team. I wanted to share a testimonial from someone else named Nucci. And Nucci said, it does help and relieve my joint stiffness and soreness after my long run training. After a week of taking Joint Health Plus, I could feel the difference. It really helps my muscle soreness, and I highly recommend this for runners. And friends, this also applies to all of us cyclists out there too. So why is this so great for endurance athletes specifically beyond just the benefits that you heard? The main active ingredient is clinically proven to reduce joint pain, reduce joint stiffness, and improve joint flexibility in just 7 to 10 days. That's right, 7 to 10 days, which is almost unheard of. Beyond that, it's also clinically proven, not just tested, but actually proven in double-blind, placebo-controlled studies to protect joint cartilage from breaking down during exercise. And you know that I love all of the evidence-based proof whenever it comes to talking about diet and supplements. If joint longevity, performance, and everyday health matters to you, which as athletes, I'm sure it does, then I strongly encourage you to check out Joint Health Plus to experience the benefits yourself. Visit Previnex.com, that is P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com, and use the code SONYA15 to save 15% off on your first purchase. And best of all, Previnex has a 100% money-back guarantee, so if you don't feel the benefits for some strange reason, then you can return the product no questions asked, which I think is pretty cool. So let's get into today's guest and talking about concussions. Concussions can happen in sport, but how do you know if you have one and what happens when you do? This week, I sat down with Adam Liu, an orthopedic concussion and vestibular physiotherapist to talk about what you need to know about concussions. And it just so happens that Adam is my personal physio. Fortunately, I haven't had a concussion in about eight years, but I have had a couple of them as a professional cyclist. When it happens, it's really scary, and sometimes you're not sure that you've even had one and if you should continue in your sport or not, and it can be really dangerous if you continue with a concussion and you don't even know if you have one or not. Adam has a Master's of Science in Physical Therapy from McMaster University, followed by a fellowship with the Canadian Academy of Manipulative Physical Therapy. He is a certified concussion therapist, certified in several concussion management protocols like ITPT and SHIFT. His training in ITPT means he can administer and interpret the impact test, which is a neurocognitive assessment tool that is standardized assessment tool of North America's top professional sports league. So Adam knows his stuff. The shift concussion management system is the Canadian founded concussion management strategy. And if you think about hockey, there are probably lots of opportunities to study concussions. Adam also has a certification in vestibular therapy, instrument assisted soft tissue release, nervous system assessment and treatment. And bracing and proprioceptive taping. Not only do I think Adam is an incredibly encouraging and positive person who makes you believe in yourself after you leave his physio office to do the prescribed exercises and treatments that he gives you, but he knows his stuff. And whenever I've seen him, he has quoted studies and showed me the studies himself in different areas. So I really wanted to have him on this show to talk about concussions. And hopefully I never have one again, but if I do, I know I will be in good hands. There's some great key takeaways today, like what is a concussion and how do you know if you have one of the 22 symptoms that is used to assess concussions? We talked about the severity of concussions and also about post-concussion syndrome. Post-concussion syndrome is something that I've seen interweaved into the narrative a lot more, especially when people are sharing some of their injury recovery journeys on social media, and it's a really important topic to know something about. A few other things we talked about are kids and concussions and risk aversion with sports. We also talked about concussions in older populations and dietary considerations that you might want to think about taking if you have or have had a concussion. Adam has provided his email. If you have a concussion or have any questions that you want to shoot him and make sure that you go to the show notes, that's at sanyaluni.com slash podcasts. You can also find it in your podcast player and you can find the link to email him. And while you're there, don't forget to hit subscribe to the show so that you don't miss other important episodes like this and other inspiring episodes that might help you and your friends and share it with them if you think that they need to hear some of these messages as well. And before we get into it, I wanted to share that I am taking on a few more health and mental performance coaching clients. So health coaching is more about the holistic view of what health means. So that's things like changing your habits around sleep, eating and exercise, but Also about having more compassion for yourself, of having more mind-body connection, and a lot more. I also offer mental performance coaching where we work on things like self-control, resilience, confidence. And I work with athletes, but I also have been attracting a lot of business people and executives to my mental performance coaching. So if any of this is of interest to you, go to sanyaluni.com click how I can help, or just use the contact form. And I would love to chat with you to see if coaching would be a good fit. Okay. So get ready to learn more about concussions with Adam Liu. Adam, my physio. How's it going?
1: Yeah, good. 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 How are you?
0: Good. uh, Now's the time to tell you that I haven't been doing some of my exercises, but it's time (laughs) to get back on the horse.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they they ebb and the flow. I tell people all the time. I think I'm, I'm sure it's you too. It's like there's a time and place and as long as you have the tools for it and you know when to use them then then that's all that matters.
0: So, your background, I mean, you're a physio, you're also a hardcore rock climber. Tell us a little bit about you and your background.
1: Mm, do I know more about my physio background or do you want to know about my like, sports background?
0: I want to hear about both and I'm sure one and they both inform each other during some periods of time.
1: Yeah, they do go into each other. I've been a physiotherapist for 12 years now, which sounds crazy to me to say. But I did an undergrad in kinesiology. In high school, the only things I was really good at were sports, i.e. gym class (laughs) and science. So like the thing that kind of made sense if I was going to go to university was kinesiology. It's like, you know, the science of sports, the science of movement. So I went into that based off the recommendation of my older sister. And then where I went to undergrad, I was lucky to get into a co-op program where you would do kind of a semester of school and then a semester of work, and you hope it would be related to your field or your degree of study, which I was lucky to have. But I had a couple of co-op placements in a physio clinic, and yeah, really liked that setting. Now, funny enough, physio is my second career. So my first career was working in ergonomics. So I was working in Michigan at the time in 2007 slash 2008. And it was more, you know, going into industrial settings and trying to fit manufacturing jobs to people. But that job, it was cool. Uh, but that job was just so much uh, less human interaction and a lot more report writing. And I just realized it wasn't a good fit for me. So yeah, applied for physio school. Was lucky enough to get in, and yeah, finished school in twenty ten, and have been working ever since.
0: Yeah, something I think is really special about you as a physio is that you have a really good way with people, like. I know when I come see you, I feel very seen and very heard. And also, you're very positive and encouraging. And you can tell that you're really passionate about your work.
1: Oh, that's that's super nice feedback. Yeah, I never (laughs) get to hear that. That's nice to hear.
0: So, that degree program sounds really interesting how you got to have work experience intertwined with your coursework.
1: It was awesome. I mean, like at the time, you know, so I did my undergrad in 2003 to 2007, I think. And at the time, Waterloo, which is where I did it in Southern Ontario, it was like one of the only university programs in kinesiology that had a co op component to it. And so, I mean, it caught my attention for sure because, I mean, you get work experience number one, you also get paid. I mean, university is so expensive. So, for a lot of us, it was just a really good opportunity to, I don't know, just to, yeah, make some money and and also get some exposure. So, it was a no brainer for me to apply to that school. I think nowadays, there's a lot more undergrad programs that have co-op components, but I mean, but back then, yeah, that was, I think, the only one. It was awesome.
0: And when did as you a, get into climbing?
1: A, f- a, oh, y- you know what? Yeah, I got into climbing. You, this is going to sound... I hate saying this. You know, let me like, say things that are, like, are longer than you expect, you're like, oh, man, I'm so old, right? Uh, but I got into climbing... Yeah. yeah it's like how long i think my high school my high school graduation we're like i think we have our 20th anniversary like reunion like next year i'm like 20 that was 20 years ago that's so crazy (laughs) but um yeah, I got into climbing. I think seventeen years ago. I was in undergrad, and yeah, we had like a, an old squash court in our university gymnasium that got converted into like a small little bouldering cave. And I remember walking by it one time and seeing one of my friends in there, and I was like, "What is this? You need special <laughs> shoes for this? Like, what, what's going on?" And so I really got into it at that level, and um, and just got sucked into it. It's like it's just so it's so athletic, but it's also so. I don't. know. Do you climb at all, Sonia? Really I've done a little I've
0: done a little bit. I'm I would I definitely am not a climber. I've been maybe like ten to twenty times.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, nice. Yeah. But even even with that amount, it's like it's such a puzzle, right? That's mm-hmm. like such a cognitive piece. I know it's to me it's similar with mountain biking. Just mountain biking happens on such a such, uh, faster level. It's like with mountain biking, you have to pick the right line. And I know sometimes if like if like I got through the trail great, but like my line choices aren't perfect, it's like that kind of like like it stays mm-hmm. in my mind. And climbing is the same. It's like, it's all about just getting like the nuances down and, and, uh, yeah, there's something so cool about that on a mental level. And then physicality wise, it's just, yeah, it's just pretty awesome. So I got into climbing 17 years ago, never thought, I mean, I moved to Squamish seven years ago to climb, like to be a climber. Um, cause in Southern Ontario, there's not too much. And I just never thought, I never thought climbing or a sport would take me across the country, but, but it did. And here I am. So
0: yeah. And what a place to be.
1: What a place to be. That's right. Yeah. My apartment right now. I mean, yeah, it's sunny right now. I can see and It's like, this is such a a dream spot, right?
0: Yeah. So, you know, talking about climbing, talking about mountain biking, it doesn't always go the way that you planned. If you do choose a wrong line or, you know, you take a fall and sometimes you hit your head and... Whenever I first came into your office, I saw some posters on the wall and some, some other things. And you said, yeah, I I work with athletes with concussions. And a lot of people listening have probably either had one themselves or know somebody that's had a concussion. And I I just still think that this isn't talked about enough. There still isn't enough information out there about concussions. So that's what I want to spend this podcast focusing on since you specifically work with athletes, but can you first just by start by telling us what is a concussion?
1: Yeah. I mean, a concussion is, it's just, it's an, honestly, it's an injury to the head. But what people sometimes get confused is that you often think it has to have like a direct blow to the head, but you don't. It's like your head, you know, your head sits inside of your skull. There's like a thin amount of space that's filled with fluid. And if you jar your body hard enough, it sounds dramatic, but your brain can hit the inside of your skull and that can result in an injury. You know, so it's like, uh, it's you know, the, the official definition is super long and wordy, but it can either be a direct blow to the head or an indirect blow to the body that causes uh, an acceleration or a deceleration force that gets transmitted to the brain. So it's literally anything that can cause your, your head to get knocked. Mm-hmm. You know, what's crazy is that like there, re- there wasn't an official, complete consensus definition of a sport concussion until 2001. I always remind people that I, like, that's how new the field is. It's like mm-hmm. prior to 2001, there was no agreed upon definition of what a concussion was, which in my mind is crazy, you know? Mm-hmm. But
0: Yeah. It, it's also weird that, you know, you can get a concussion without taking a blow to the head.
1: Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people don't think that. Sometimes I get people that come into my office for an assessment and they're not even sure if they have a concussion. They're like, I didn't hit my head. You know, like uh, my dog ran into the side of my body when I was tying my shoe. And then now I just feel super dizzy and I don't know what's going on, right? (laughs) And it's like, yeah, you don't need that hit whatsoever. (laughs) I actually know who that is. I know why you're laughing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's I did not uh, that was a total total random example, but that's the one that always sticks on my mind, you know. And there was like, no breach yeah, in
0: confidentiality with that either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, so sometimes without that blow to the head, but you don't you don't need that blow to the head at all.
0: So, how does somebody know if they might be contending with a concussion?
1: Oh, that's, that's a great question. I always tell people, it's like, you have to err on the side of caution, you know, so it's, it's really tough, especially when you're on the trail, you know, I've had three concussions in my lifetime, two of them have come from mountain biking here in the corridor. Um, And it's tough when you're in the trails. And how do you get out? I mean, a lot of times if you can you, you ride out, right, which is like, not the not the greatest, you know, scenario to be in. But a lot of times it's like, you gotta just look for any symptoms that feel kind of off. So I always remind people that when it comes to a concussion, there's, there's 22 symptoms right now. Like when they do these sport concussion assessments, there's 22 symptoms they'll ask you about. And these are only, these are the 22 recognized symptoms of a concussion. The crappy thing is that, like, none of them are specific to a concussion whatsoever, you know? It's like with different parts of the body, you know, uh, meniscus injuries, to the knee, maybe it'll get locking, you know, stuff like that, and it cues you in right away, but none of the concussion symptoms are specific whatsoever. But out of your 22, you know, you've got headache, dizziness, nausea, fogginess, anxiety, light sensitivity, noise sensitivity, you know, the list is pretty long and extensive. And I always tell people: if you get into a an accident where there is a, a either hit to the head or blow to the body that caused like a whiplash mechanism to your neck, if you feel off, um, do you just immediately label it as a concussion until you get cleared that it's not? You know, yeah, better to be safe. And, yeah, it's
0: tough because you know if you fall down, running, skiing, whatever. Like you're taking a blow to your body, even if you don't hit your head. And you you might have any of those symptoms because whenever you get an injury, you're gonna feel fatigued, you're gonna feel a bit off. Um, so yeah. being able to say, you know, is this a concussion or not? And to treat it seriously, I think a lot of people don't treat it seriously because A, they don't want to accept that maybe that did happen, or B, they don't want someone to tell them that they need to stop doing their activity. Or, see, like when you have a concussion, emotionally, it's hard to make good decisions. So, you might have a hard time even making the right decision as to whether you should get checked out or not.
1: Totally. Right. And it's tough. Like, just situationally, it's really tough. Like, a lot of concussions happen when you're competing. And, you know, as an athlete, and, you know, I used to be a competitive athlete. Myself, it's like when you're competing, you're you kind of embarrassed, right? <laughs> it 's like say you crash off your bike, you just kind of want to get up, dust it off, and just and just keep going. Or sometimes the adrenaline is really high, and you just don't recognize what's happening at all. You might think you're totally okay, but you know, externally, you know, people will see things kind of differently. So I always tell people, it's like if you're competing. I mean, luckily nowadays we have good health team members that that will look out for you and will make the best judgment call for you. But if you're recreating on your own, or if you're riding with friends or or playing sports with friends, and it's a friend of yours that has a potential concussion, I think the best thing we can do with the education we've got nowadays is just advocate for each other and just really err on on the side of safety.
0: Is there a place that we can access those 22 symptoms so that if someone is curious, they can look at it?
1: Yeah, hundred uh, percent. There's something called the SCAT tool. So SCAT tool is the sport concussion assessment tool. It's had a whole bunch of different variations. I think it's on its fifth edition now, and there's a whole bunch of different subsections to it, but there's a symptom inventory checklist. And it's the most widely accepted symptom inventory checklist that exists out there. The international concussion community advocates for this use. And so that's the same checklist that I use. So I would tell people it's just if you if you look it up, it'll have all twenty two symptoms there. And mm-hmm. and Lily, if you can say yes to like three of them, you know, in my mind, it's like you should probably just get rolled, rolled out before you compete any any further.
0: Yeah, I think it's kind of hard too, because some of those questions, they it's like asking how you feel, and it's really hard to say <laughs> this is how I feel sometimes. So yeah. how like how do you navigate that?
1: Oh man, that's such a good question. I mean like I I could do the checklist right now and answer yes to probably 3 of them, you yeah, know, yeah. like I just have my yeah, you know, like I'm a little tired and like maybe I'm a little bit like emotional I'm a little bit foggy, you know, I, I just had a covid booster shot, so it's like how many of those symptoms are from the shot? But I would say it's it's all in context. So it's like if if you did have some kind of traumatic injury or exposure or scenario happen to you and it's like, I do feel tired, I do feel headachey, I do feel dizzy. It's like just in the context of it all, it's still probably worthwhile to to get that figured out.
0: And then who should somebody go see? Because a lot of people say, oh, I'll go see my MD or like you're a physio. Like who, who do you go see when you have yeah. a suspected concussion?
1: Man, that's that's a good question too. Yeah, good one. You know, it's hard. A lot of people in Canada, we've got... Um, you know. For, Free access to hospitals and, and our doctors, right? And a lot of doctors in the corridor are super educated about concussions, but that's not, and I think that's just because of the environment and like the sports that happen here, but mm-hmm. I don't think that can be generalized across Canada. So I, I always tell people if you can, it's like you try to get in and see somebody that has some kind of continuing education that's concussion specific. Yeah, doctors, they're great. Um, they're more on the general side of things. But if you can get in for th- somebody that's got concussion-related mm-hmm. knowledge or continuing education, that's always the, the best thing to do. Mm-hmm. The, the thing I'll say is in Canada, this is what drives me kind of crazy is that anybody in Canada can say they can provide concussion therapy. You don't have to take any extra education to state that at all. Yeah, it bothers the the heck out of me. So sometimes when you do go see a physiotherapist, and they may be the best physio and have really good intentions, but if they don't have any continuing education that's concussion-specific, you should probably seek somebody else out if you can. Nowadays with, you know, internet, uh, and most physios will have uh, a bio online, whatever clinic they work at. I tell people, read that bio and make sure you're finding somebody that... That says they do concussion treatment, but also is listing at least some kind of education, uh, continuing education that backs up that claim.
0: Yeah, that's a good tip for somebody who's looking for a practitioner, and also just a reminder that you can go see; it doesn't have to be an MDE. Like you can go find somebody that yeah. can really help you. So, when someone yeah. does come see you, what is the process? If you know there's there's a questionnaire, there's things that you do. Like what what is somebody going to expect whenever they go in?
1: Yeah. So usually when they see me, it's, um, it's, it's a pretty in depth. It's pretty in depth. It's like, usually I'll split my assessment up into pieces. So getting through a full concussion assessment is super, you know, if when you do have a concussion, it can be really overwhelming. So sometimes a lot of my assessment pieces can take multiple sessions to go through. But I think number one is just for me, getting an understanding of your history and going through a lot of reassurance. You know, sometimes there's so much. I don't know what the, I don't know what the right word is or how to describe it. You know, sometimes when people get a concussion, they, they're really fearful. You know, you're really fearful of like, what does that mean? You know, like, what does that mean for your sport? What does that mean for your health? Uh, maybe it's your fifth or sixth, or maybe you've had a couple in a row. Like you don't really know how that's all going to play out. And it can be really, really, really anxiety inducing. So I think for me, it's usually in that first, in that first session, is just trying to answer all the questions you've got before we even go through the assessment, just to kind of, yeah, calm things down a little bit.
0: Yeah, it sounds but, like the emotional component is a really big component for a lot of people and part of your role is to to help people through that first part.
1: Yeah. 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 I know with uh, you know, I've had some chronic injuries and, and oftentimes when my chronic injuries get flared up and it's usually from a bad bouldering fall or from a bad mountain crash, it's like the number one thing in my mind is like, Oh no. <laughs> like, do I have to go through this process all over again? It's the worst feeling, you know. So yeah, I usually try to help people out on that front first. And yeah, and staying positive is like, is a massive component to that.
0: Yeah. And I think when you've had a concussion, it actually is even harder to be positive. Cause just, emo- I don't know what it is about it, but just yeah. emotionally, it just, it's so hard. Like you're just not yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. It is. I think that's the same with any recurring injury, right? I mean, like, yeah, you've had recurring injuries before. And it's like, when you when you get over it the first time, it's, it's, it's awesome. But when you have to get over it the second time and third time, I don't know, it's daunting. It's like, it's like overwhelming. It it, it takes so much to get through injuries sometimes, especially traumatic ones. It's like, to have to unexpectedly make that part of your process over the next couple weeks or months. It's yeah, it's not fun.
0: So are there different grades of concussion?
1: There are. So, I mean, on the most basic sense, uh, just like an injury, it's like we grade concussions mild, moderate, or severe. Concussions are the only injury still where you can't evaluate the severity of a concussion until after you've recovered from it. It's, oh, wow. it sounds so weird to, yeah, it's so weird. Cause that's, that's someone's number one question. That's like, how bad is this? and How long is this going to take? Mm-hmm. And it's the only injury where my honest answer is we can't give you an answer at all. You know, like if you have a, an ACL grade one sprain versus a grade two versus a complete ACL tear we have really common expectations, you know, like a uh, grade ones, like maybe six to eight weeks, grade twos, maybe three to six months, complete tear. That's one year minimum. With a concussion, we've got no algorithm yet to predict how long they take to recover or how bad they are. So it sounds weird, like in my experience, anecdotally, it's like I've worked with people that had, you know, crashed off their bike hard enough where they fractured a vertebrae in their neck, lost consciousness, retrograde amnesia, they can't remember wow. a thing. Maybe they woke up and vomited. but concussion-wise, Four weeks out, they pass every test I can give them. And on a concussion standpoint, they've fully recovered in my mind. And you can mark that as mild, even though day one, it didn't seem like it at all. And then you can see people that have maybe low-grade dizziness, maybe very low-grade headache, And you can see those systems persist for one to two years. So it's like, you know, where from day one, you might be like, oh, it's only a headache. That's a three out of 10. It's only dizziness. That's four out of 10. This should be a couple weeks and I'm good to go. But yeah, sometimes it doesn't. So it's like, there's no way of predicting it at all. And they've tried to do that. They've tried, they've done studies before where it's like, let's rank your intensity on these 22 symptoms and then follow you over time and see which symptoms predict longer recovery times. And there's no, there's not too much of a pattern. There's some symptoms that do. Predict a protracted recovery is what we say. Like, you know, you can expect you're going to take a little bit longer, but there's really no way of predicting how long um, or guessing the severity of it um, until it's over.
0: Yeah, that uncertainty piece must be just so hard, even as a practitioner, because you want to tell somebody, you want to give them the assurance, like, this is what your expectation should be, but you have no idea.
1: You have no idea. I know, you have no idea. So it's like that that is a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people, but I always tell people it's like even though we have no idea, you just got to look for progress. You have to look for that progress, and as long as there's progress, then you've got to be happy enough with that. And that's uh, that takes a little bit of that takes a little bit of learning to accept as well.
0: So, what are some things that you do to help people who have a concussion work through them?
1: Yeah, so and nowadays, I mean, the the research is, is constantly evolving, and so much physio research is on the concussion front nowadays too. But on a physiotherapy or a physical therapy st- uh, standpoint, there's, there's a lot of different systems that can get impacted after a concussion injury that we can assess properly and, and treat. So I always tell people, it's like on a really, really basic sense, my analogy is always like, if you are a decathlete, you know, and you're going to some uh, coach that has the ability of assessing your ability on all 10 sports, it's like, whatever sports you suck at, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, if it's the sprint, if it's a log jump, whatever, it's like, those are the ones that you can, you're going to work on to try and make things better. Right. So after a concussion injury, we know that there's very specific domains that we can assess. So, you know, after a concussion injury, usually there's an injury to your neck. Usually there's an injury to your visual system. So the muscle groups that control and coordinate your eye movements Usually, there's an injury to your vestibular system, so uh, the system that controls your balance. Usually, there's an injury to your cervical proprioception, which is the kind of this odd thing that helps you with spatial awareness. And so there... We as physios, we can assess those things, and if we feel that there's deficiencies in them, uh, then we train them the same way that we would train anything else. You know, so it's like if you're if you're weak in your bicep, then we give you bicep strength exercises, and then we measure the progress. So with concussion, if you were impaired in any of those systems, we try to come up with exercises to to force some an adaptation, and we just see how it goes.
0: Yeah, for me, the con- like I've had a couple. I haven't had one since 2016. But there was a whiplash element in every concussion that yep. I've had, and doing some like dry needling and some work on the cervical spine made a huge difference. And same with my husband, actually, who's had concussions.
1: Yeah, the neck plays a huge role. Like your neck is is massive, and a lot of the a lot of the inputs to your brain they, they come from your neck, or I shouldn't say they come from your neck, but they have contributing aspects, I guess, from your neck you know way way back in the day like in the early 90s like they were able to establish that like if you've got stiffness coming from your neck there's 14 different symptoms that are recognized coming from neck stiffness and it's funny cuz like neck pain is a clear like uh, that's an easy one right like pain but like a stiff neck can cause you headaches, dizziness can make you nauseous, can make you foggy, can give you light sensitivity. And these are all, funny enough, like concussion symptoms, right? So I always tell people there's so much overlap. And so figuring out what's going on with your neck and making sure we're working on your neck is a, it's a huge component to concussion recovery for sure.
0: Something that I wish I had known that I did not take into account back then is how dangerous a concussion is and how bad it could be if you continue your sport despite having one and i didn't i didn't take it seriously the times i've had it i was back out there when i absolutely should not have been back out there thinking i'm fine and you know as an athlete you always have this mentality of like well i'll just grit my way through but a concussion is not the time to do that and i've made lots of stupid you know decisions in my athletic career gritting my way through injuries can you tell us why it's so dangerous to continue with a concussion
1: yeah i mean it's just it's a really critical time period for your brain you know so it's like Without a concussion injury, we have a buffer. So it's like we've got a buffer where you can sustain force and your body can sustain that force in a really healthy way and have no side effects to it. But after a concussion injury, that buffer is gone. So I always tell people it's kind of like riding a Whistler bike park with no helmet and no gear whatsoever. It's like maybe you can, you know, and maybe you'll be okay. But a crash with no gear on is it's going to, you're going to feel that so much more than if you had the proper gear in place. So uh, physiologically speaking, and it can get super detailed, but physiologically speaking, your brain just does not have the buffer it needs to be able to safely absorb and dissipate any kind of force after a concussion injury. And so that second concussion injury or that second hit on top When your brain's still recovering, can actually be fatal. You know, like so they call it second impact syndrome, and people have died from getting a second concussion when they were actively experiencing their first. I always hate to mention that to people because it sounds super dramatic, but but it is true. If you have an acute concussion injury and you get a second hit, you can die, and and those cases have happened.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's an important thing to say to somebody, like especially somebody like me, that's like, oh, just. I'll just keep going. Like, I, I'll just, just shake whatever. it
1: off. Uh, yeah. 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 There's a certain like, like age as well. Because like, you know, like for me as a kid growing up, yeah, like you were kind of told that was kind of a cultural norm. You just kind of shake it off and get back in there, right? Mm-hmm. But that is, that is changing for sure. And I think, again, that's where it comes to having the right people in place on your team if you're an athlete having really good supportive and understanding or even inquisitive family members and friends that can restrain, restrain you, restrain your yeah. ambition a little bit if, if you want to get back out there, you know?
0: And what about subsequent concussions? Cause like maybe you are cleared, you know, to get back out there by your, your medical practitioner. What happens if you have another one after you've already been cleared to continue to or return to sport?
1: Yeah. That, I mean, that's a, that's a great like, that'd be a great answer. Like a, For me, if you if you pass every concussion test that we have at our disposal right now, and we we do have a lot, which is great, I do think you know a decade from now we'll have even more because maybe the tools we have now don't fully capture everything. But if you fully pass every test that I can throw at you, and you know you're participating in your sport at some degree without any symptoms at all. Uh, then for me, you're you're fully recovered. And if you do get another concussion injury, for me, once you're fully recovered, I'm going to answer this really poorly. I'm trying to I'm trying to choose like the right way of saying it, you know. But if you if I fully cleared you and you do get a new concussion injury, it's not as dire at all compared to if you get a hit when you're still recovering. You know, it's always hard to say how people react to it, because obviously, cumulative injuries on any part of your body are tough on that part of the body. You know, like if you separate your shoulder and you fully recover from a separate shoulder, but then you separate it again, it's probably going to be just as long, if not longer of a recovery process, just because that part of your body has sustained multiple injuries to it and the brain being a more sensitive part of your body it it would be the same answer to it if not a little bit longer yeah
0: so is there a time where you might i mean it's hard to tell somebody what to do but yeah. if somebody's had like you know a certain number of concussions you mentioned fifth or sixth concussion like should that person maybe consider like stopping that sport
1: yeah that's such a hard that's such a hard one. I don't know. I I usually have a really honest conversation with people and I always hate to be the one to make that decision for people and luckily in my career I haven't had to be the one that makes mm-hmm. that decision for people but I mean you would see those warning signs i think clear as day like if you've had seven concussion injuries and you've noticed that like your first one happened 10 years ago, and then your second one happened five years ago, and then you had four last year and five this year, like you can just see the trend is, is worsening. And if you notice that it does not take much for things to happen again, Mm -hmm. that's kind of a question where it's like, yeah, maybe if all of these concussions were a result of the same sport, you know, you're a hockey player or you're a MMA fighter or something. And it's kind of, you might be looking at, making the tough decision in terms of if this is something that you want to keep on doing. But, you know, like in, in the greater like conversation, it's like, you know, the mental health conversation, like I know for me, physical activity is how I keep my mental health in check. And if all of my concussion injuries were from mountain biking and somebody told me, Hey, I'm like, I don't think you mountain bike ever again. Like that would be a really, really tough thing for me to evaluate. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I want to talk about post concussion syndrome because you mentioned sometimes symptoms lasting for years, and this is the reality for I mean, I don't know the stats, but it seems like it's bigger than just a small population that this happens to. Can you tell us more yeah. about that?
1: Yeah, so concussion statistics are hard, you know, because it's there's different ways of measuring concussions, and a lot of times in the literature, it's like there's small sample sizes and there's statistical nuances that make it hard to generalize i guess but it's like you'll often hear you'll often hear really common statistics like 80% of concussions recover in 4 weeks or less and the the remaining 20% uh, that don't recover within that first 4 weeks can last up to a year and then in that percentage there's a you know, another further 20% and may last two years. So post-concussion syndrome is basically a concussion that persists longer than than four weeks. So it's like, you know, in the literature right now, an acute concussion injury is a hit to the head where you have symptoms and diagnosed with concussion. And that's within the first four weeks, which is a, a kind of a different management strategy, I guess. And then a post-concussion syndrome is when you have concussion injuries beyond four weeks. And in the medical literature, it's thought that after four weeks, the actual physiological injury has recovered. But for one reason or another, you're still experiencing symptoms. So it's kind of like, think of post-concussion syndrome like a broken bone that's healed completely. And on imaging, it looks like a completely healed bone, but yet this person still has pain where the break was and still has a loss of function where the break was and, and can't use their arm the same way. So like physiologically it seems like everything should be working just fine, but it's not. That's that's kind of what post concussion syndrome is.
0: Kind of sounds like some of the post COVID things that happened too.
1: <laughs> totally right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. It's like it's kind of unexplainable, you know? It's like they don't know why it happens, but there's a there's a good percentage of people that experience it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And this is just a quick moment, just This is my suggestion for people who have experienced this, whether it's post concussion or post COVID or whatever post problem you're dealing with is to meet yourself with some self-compassion because it's really easy to get frustrated and critical and impatient and, and judging and and that doesn't help the healing process at all.
1: No, it doesn't at all. I know. And it's, it's so easy because you get so, frustrated and especially when health professionals can't tell you the answer you know Mm -hmm. because sometimes people come to me for the answer and it's like I can't tell you why you're still experiencing this and when people have been like yeah but it's been a year and a half and I've been doing all the right things like yeah why it's like I know I I can't tell you why it's not happening but you have to try to stay motivated to keep doing the right things and it's it is such a frustrating journey to be yeah but you gotta be you gotta be nice to yourself easier easier said than done for sure
0: so, what does the recovery process look like? Because I haven't, you know, read up on what it's been like since in the last whatever, how long it's been six years, but like it yeah. used to be like, you know, you have to stay in a dark room and you can't yeah, look at your phone yeah. and like you can't have any yeah. other inputs. Like, is that a myth now, or is that still kind of the protocol?
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny that that was the protocol for sure. So, like when I came out of school in 2010, like that was totally the protocol. Like, you literally. I remember this list that I think like the Canadian Physio Association like I published where it was like, these are the things you should avoid after a concussion. And it was like literally anything you could think of that was a stimulate, right? It was like TVs, phones, music, Copy. reading, conversations. <laughs> yeah. Going outside, right? Like it was a ridiculous list. And I was like, wow, you really can't do anything, right? But yeah, the research has changed. So it's like the one of the last consensus statements that came out for guiding concussion rehab in 2017, it was like, it was starting to advocate early reactivation. So it's like, honestly, a 48 to 72 hour period of rest. And this is case by case too, which is why it's really important that there's a clinician that has some kind of concussion experience or concussion education. But but generally speaking, it's about 48 to 72 hours of rest. Um, And then it is, and this is going to sound funny, and I usually spend a lot longer trying to clearly make sure people understand this, but then it's trying to get back to everything that you used to do as normally as you can until your symptoms go beyond a certain threshold. So it's like, yeah, have conversations, watch TV, be on your phone, read a little bit, play board games you know, with your kids or with your friends. And all of that is okay until your symptoms get worse by like a two or three points. And at that point in time, whatever it is you're doing is when you have to kind of cut back. So I always use the analogy of trying to get your cardio system better. So I always tell people, it's like, if you're really wanting to get your cardio better, it's going to feel a little bit uncomfortable, right? And it's like, and you're going to have to experience feeling slightly short of breath. And if you're working on your cardio and you never for a second feel shortness of breath at all, (laughs) you're probably not working hard enough to try to facilitate a change, right? (laughs) Yeah. So concussion is the same. It's like you've got to give your brain a reason to adapt. And if you are scared of your symptoms, which a lot of us are initially, because we just don't get educated enough about it. But if you're scared of your concussion symptoms, and every single time you feel your symptoms, you stop what you're doing, your brain is never going to adapt to whatever that stimulus is. So you have to, you have to work into it a little bit, but in, into a safe zone where it doesn't make things worse, um, but forces things to get better.
0: You just said most of us aren't educated enough about our symptoms. Has, is there anything that I've missed so far to help educate people on this?
1: Yeah, well, I think the number one thing is don't be scared of your symptoms. So your symptoms are really those 22 symptoms I keep referencing, Like those really are just a way of your brain trying to signal to you that something's wrong. And it's just a communication system, more or less, right? So I always tell you when you feel those symptoms, Don't get discouraged by them. Just let them just know that that's your brain communicating to you. So it's like, if I'm watching TV and my headache goes from like a two out of 10 to a five out of 10, after five minutes, it's like, okay, well that's, there's something with the TV and my concussion that's not jiving, right? But it's like, if I keep avoiding the TV for days and days and weeks and weeks and weeks, my concussion injury will never adapt to that stimulus. So sometimes I tell people it's kind of like imagine you've been sitting in a pitch black room for let's hypothetically say four straight weeks. If you've been sitting in a pitch black room for four straight weeks, what amount of light is going to hurt your eyes? Any amount of light, you know, even the 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 tiniest like light from a lighter, you might be piercingly in pain because your eyes haven't been exposed to that at all, right? But if you don't find a level of light that is okay for your eyes to get exposed to, you'll never get used to the stimulus of light again, right? So I always tell people, it's like, listen to your symptoms, but it's a lot of coaching in terms of trying to figure out and find proper thresholds that are okay. And people eventually, I think, get really good at it, which is good. But step number one is not being scared of your symptoms at all. Which I find that after our first con- after any concussion injury, really, we're usually pretty anxious and pretty scared of everything that we're feeling.
0: Yeah, it sounds like using curiosity instead of judgment in this scenario and in, in many scenarios in life is important. And also, yeah, um, also just being brave enough to, you know, experiment a little bit because it sounds like it's not just sit in a dark room. It's You know, see how things go, and then not get freaked out if you get a, uh, you know, if your headache comes back in full force. Not saying this is, you know, an end-all, be-all. This is just some information to inform what I need to do next.
1: That's exactly. That's curiosity is such a good word. It really is like just trying to be curious about the the boundaries of your injury, and then you have to push those boundaries for things to get better. And it's a little bit, people hate, (laughs) people hate to hear this. And sometimes I'm like, you know, maybe the expectation is weird, but I always tell people with post-concussion syndrome, it's a little bit of trial and error, right? We really don't know, you know, what, where are the boundaries? You have to go out there and find them and explore what they are. So sometimes I use the analogy. It's like going into the gym for the first time. If you're going to the gym for the first time and you want to jump on these five different machines, what weights are you going to use? Who knows? You know, like you try, you try once, you move the sack, you can't budget. Well, let's drop it down. It's too easy. Well, let's increase it. And it's a little bit of trial and error to find out what that buffer zone is for you. And then once you find out that, yeah, the lap pull down of 75 pounds is a good challenge. If we can keep that exposure over a couple of weeks you're going to notice things are getting stronger and better. And so concussion injuries are the same. It's like finding out what your exposures are and training them the exact same way so that your brain gets used to that type of stimuli again.
0: I wanted to ask about kids and concussions. And I know that might be, it might be a different type of education. It might be like, even with like coaching, like health coaching or mental skills coaching, there's special rules around coaching children. But there yeah. are lots of children that play sports, whether it's you know an endurance sport like mountain biking, or they're playing football or soccer or a sport where they might get a concussion. So, what advice do you have for parents listening, where they're like, "Oh, I think my kid might have one, or my kid could get one?" Yeah,
1: it's tough. That's a really hard question, especially for me. It's like I know that most of the times the other physical types of injuries, uh, kids like typically heal way faster than adults do, you know. But when it comes to concussion injuries, kids typically heal quite a bit slower. Mm. so it's like with kids you have to be a lot more conservative um, than with adults and kids also have a very poor ability and it's not their fault at all but a really poor ability of communicating to you how they feel sometimes maybe they they just don't know you know sometimes i'll ask kids you know um, do you feel dizzy or do you feel mentally foggy and they're like i don't know what that means (laughs) it's like yeah like the self-awareness of a
0: kid for sure and like the mind-body connection (laughs) and all that
1: Totally. Right. And so it's like when they can't answer some of the things that we need to be able to guide you properly, it gets really, really tough. So with kids, you always have to be way, way more, way more cautious and conservative for sure. And, and they're going through a lot of kids depending on the age of going through certain stressors that we as adults don't have to go through either. Like school can be a stressor or changing schools or maturing, you know, like puberty, like all those things. Can cause a lot of anxiety, which can bring on a lot of symptoms on their own. So it's like, there's a lot of confounding variables to it for sure. So I don't know. I always tell, I always, I do personally often struggle with kids under the age of 12 with concussions. I just find that there's a lot of other things, confounding things going on that, that make my judgment of the injury itself difficult to navigate. But for parents listening, it it really is just. If your kids are feeling off at all and there's a suspected concussion injury, they just have to play it conservatively and be patient.
0: I'm going to ask a dumb question. Like, can, can, can someone get a concussion from, say, headering a soccer ball or something like that? 100%.
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%. Soccer headers are one of like the, the leading causes of concussion injuries, actually. Yeah, which is why I believe in, in soccer. Adolescent soccer is not like a, a sport I follow in, in terms of like rule changes and policy changes. But I do believe that there are leagues out there and provinces out there that have limited heading the ball for certain age groups.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I'm just thinking about this like risk aversion, right? Like if you play any type of sport... I mean, I don't know if the word any is even appropriate, but if you're playing most sports, it seems like there's a chance that you could get a concussion and concussions can be serious. So some people will yeah. say, you know, well, I'm not going to play any sport or my kid's yeah. not going to play any sport because I just don't want them to take any type of risk. But then there's also, you know, the reward, like you said, the mental health and and there's tons of other benefits of playing sports. So what advice do you have yeah. for people who might be very risk averse and afraid?
1: I know that's that's a tough one. That's a tough answer too, because it's kind of like you know, it's kind of up to your personal philosophy, to be honest. You know, like in Ontario, they limited body checking uh, in ice hockey uh, to over a certain age because same thing, just to help to curb the risk of concussion injuries, and and it showed that it did. You know, when you looked at concussion rates when they introduced new body checking rules, you saw those concussion rates plummet, really. But I mean, there's the argument that learning how to body check and learning how to absorb a hit uh, at a younger age may make you more protective in terms of protecting yourself against a your concussion injury. And, and I actually fully believe that as well. You know, like I took martial arts when I was younger and in martial arts, one of the first things we learned how to do was something called a break fall. And a break fall was just kind of like using different, you kind of hit the ground really hard with your arm when you were flipped over And you, you were using your body to absorb and dissipate that force so that it didn't go to more vulnerable parts of your body. And so I think learning that at a young age helps, transfer some athletic skills where I was able to protect myself a little bit better. So it's a tough one. Eliminating, I understand on the policy side of things, it's like if you eliminate some of these skills, like you eliminate body checking for kids or eliminating headers in soccer, you're going to lower the risk of concussion injuries. But at the same time, I do think that some of that exposure and learning how to navigate through sports is a healthy thing so i don't know i don't really have a good answer for that i I do really think it's kind of like up to the parent and Mm -hmm. and personal philosophies to yeah drive what you end up doing
0: yeah no i mean like knowing what your personal philosophy is around this is the answer because there is no right answer it's going to be very individual
1: yeah that's exactly it no right answer at all yeah
0: I think my last question is going to be about older populations. Cause I've asked about kids. I've asked about sort of general populations, but you always hear, hear people say like, yeah, when you get older, you know, it takes longer to heal and this and that. Have you seen any trends with older people? And I don't even know how to define older. I don't want to get myself in trouble by putting a, an age on something <laughs> yeah. and saying this yeah. older, but
1: are,
0: you know, are we older? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I am.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. You can say you've had your 20 year reunion. Uh...
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 Good question. It's funny because here in Squamish, it's like, what's, it, what's the median age of Squamish? It's quite young, right? So it's like a lot of people I see with sport concussion injuries are all in their 30s and 40s, which I mean, for me, that's not old whatsoever. So I haven't seen too many people that are in their 60s, 70s, or older that have concussion injuries, but like with everything else. And I and to be honest, I actually haven't even... it's a really good thing for me to to read up on. I haven't read any... Concussion specific research on recovery rates of an older population, which I think would be a really interesting read. But with all other injuries, it's always slower. Uh, just our our metabolic rates are slower. The reactions that we need and tissue building capacity is much slower as we age. And so I would expect that you know if that research is out there, which I'm sure it is, I would expect that in The population. It's like your concussion recovery timeline is probably going to be pretty, pretty slow.
0: I realized I forgot to bring up one last point here. It was, this was recommended to me by a chiropractor when I went in for some concussion rehab, but they said, you know, there's some dietary considerations that you can take into account for brain health. Do you Mm -hmm. make any recommendations to people?
1: Yeah. You know, like I always tell people like, um, so in Canada, physiotherapy wise, it's like, we can't really recommend things that are outside of our scope of practice. So unfortunately like dietary recommendations, it's outside of our scope, but I do always tell people, it's like, you want to optimize your, the environment as best as you can. So it's like when you are recovering from any kind of injury, it's like on a, on a purely molecular, physical, mechanical standpoint, it's like, we need building blocks to repair things you know so it's like if you're preparing for a flood and you don't have sandbags Or the manpower to stack them, it's like good luck getting anything done. You know, nothing's going to happen. So when it comes to concussion injuries, I always tell people just optimize as best as you can when it comes to nutrition. So reduce anything that's inflammatory. So it's like all your like delicious processed foods and like fried (laughs) pizza sitting
0: on my desk. Dang it! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. You can't you can't eat it, right? So anything that's inflammatory because inflammation, your body is already running at a critical energy level and if you're eating something that is causing inflammation in your body now instead of fixing your body it's trying to deal with eliminating the inflammation so you're just you're prolonging things so i always tell people it's kind of like instead of having one fire to deal with inflammation is like introducing 12 fires every single day and it's like your body just doesn't stand a chance in terms of addressing all of its focus on into one spot but reducing processed foods making sure you, enough, you have enough water most people don't drink water at all you know i, I work with people that like drink wow. one glass a day wow. yeah two glasses i know i know i hope there's people i work with that are listening to this and they're like yeah he's definitely talking about me right now but you know <laughs> most most of the biological chemical reactions you need uh, to get, to carry through in your body need molecules of water so we have to make sure you have it in your system and protein your brain after a concussion injury preferentially chooses protein as an energy, as an energy source. So I always tell people like make sure you're getting enough and Canadian protein dietary guidelines are public knowledge. And so I usually just direct people to that and make sure that you're following the needs that they recommend. And then, I mean, and there's lots of other research that's out there for other things like magnesium and your B vitamins and creatine and all that stuff. And, and then, and usually I'm happy to direct people to those resources, but on a physical standpoint, uh, um, yeah, it's not
0: in your scope to say I mean, these are dietary. Yeah. 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 Something that the chiropractor told me also is omega threes, like making sure you're staying up on those. Oh
1: yeah. Omega threes. Yeah, no, I mean, there's not, there's unfortunately not a lot of research on the dietary stuff and how it pertains to concussion recovery, but, mm. but it's funny because all the things that we know are good for our general health are also all helpful for concussion recovery for sure. So omega-3s, yeah, good one. Yeah, that definitely slipped my mind, but a huge one for concussion recovery.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and, you know, demystifying concussions, giving us a little bit more information, but also to take away some of the fear, because if you're playing a sport, you know, the odds of getting a concussion, I don't know what the odds are of that, but like I said, most people listening probably either had one or know somebody that's had one. So having some education around it, just like what you said is super important when it comes to injury and especially an injury of the brain.
1: Yeah. 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 No, I'm glad we can do this.
0: If anyone has any questions, is there a place that they could find you potentially to ask?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I always encourage people to email me all the time. So it's like my email address. I'm not sure if you guys will link to it or anything like that. But no, can. You can al- yeah, you can always shoot me an email. And then you can find us at um, you know, our clinics, so our clinic, clinic, Union Health and Performance. Our info is on there as well. And I've got my own, my own website, which you can reach out. Uh, you have any questions, but uh, for sure, I know through my Adam Lou Physiotherapy website, people email me concussion questions all the time. uh, And I appreciate them for sure. Because I know that, I don't know, I'm usually pretty protective of concussion injuries uh, and making sure people get the right guidance. So I love it when I get people that have questions.
0: Great. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: Yeah, no, you're welcome.
0: I hope you enjoyed that episode today. I certainly learned a lot and feel even better equipped if I know somebody that gets a concussion or if I might think that I have a concussion. Thank you to those of you who are supporting my work on Patreon and PayPal. Your donations do not go unnoticed every single month. You can find that at sonyalooney.com slash podcasts or at patreon.com slash The Looney Show. Please share the show with your friends. You can take a screenshot and put it up on social media so that it can find others. That's the best way to help grow the show is just to share it with other people. And as always, I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. And I'll see you right back here next week.